This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Welcome into the Steelers Standard. I am Tom Opferman, and with me, as always, is Jacob Recht. Steelers Nation, your long national nightmare is over. I'm just kidding. It really wasn't that bad. But TJ Watt? Oh, it's bad. It wasn't that bad. I think it got way blown out of proportion, to be honest. By me as well. I think we were also adding gas to that That's what I meant. It was more so bad because of the reaction. Uh, We need something to talk about before the games start getting played for real. But TJ Watt yesterday inks his new deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a four-year deal. It's worth a total of $112 million, 80 of that $112 million is guaranteed. That means if he were to, I don't know, snap his ankle tomorrow and it's beyond repair for the rest of his life, he's still walking away with $80 million. $35 million as a signing bonus up front. His average annual value is $28 million. That is $1 million more than Joey Bosa's average annual value. It makes him the highest paid defensive player in the NFL. I don't think there was any question about TJ Watt getting that status of being the highest paid player in the NFL. That's something that he set out at the very beginning as I want this to be the case. It was just a matter of is the Steelers going to be the team that makes that a reality? And by God, they did it. By God, by they, God did it. they did it. And it's great to feel like we can move past this now and that we can put everything behind us in that, you know, even though we kind of started to. Who's the bad guy here? Is TJ the bad guy? Is the Steelers organization the bad guy? You know, there was fans were starting to pick and choose sides of the fence on that. And I'm glad TJ practiced on Wednesday of this week, the first real big practice getting ready for Buffalo. So that kind of started settling things down a little bit. And then, of course, Thursday with the contract being signed, it's it's all behind us. And you can fully focus on that 2021 season. And TJ Watt, your most important player on the defensive side of the ball. He's a very happy man now. The most important guy when it comes to the Steelers' playoffs, hopes, according to Peter Schrager. That's which true. Which could we, dis- be, we disagree with because it's Ben. But, but defensively, you could, say, it is. you could say arguably the second guy on either side of the ball, but definitely on, on first on the defensive side of the ball. But I just think it's hilarious how this week unfolded in terms of a narrative. You looked at Monday and, and Tuesday, all the national pundits saying, Oh, things are getting shaky in Pittsburgh. Oh, I don't know if TJ Watt's actually going to suit up on Sunday. We'll see. He didn't practice on Monday. He didn't practice on Tuesday. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Oh, well, how about that? He, he shows up to practice on Wednesday. W- w- what do you know? Thursday comes. Oh, th- okay. He practiced yesterday. Sure, but there's still no deal done. Uh-uh. Oh, there was a deal done. <laughs> oh, okay. So he's going to. Oh, so so what he did was he talked to the Roonies, and then he said, oh, I'm going to go work out now. Oh, so he's actually locked in okay, well, for the season. Okay, well, let's explain that real quick, what you just said. Adam Schefter tweeted out uh, a few hours or just an hour after the contract was signed uh, by Ian Rappaport. He outscooped Shefty, so I know Shefty was a little salty about that. But Shefty had his moment in the sun when he said, Steelers outside linebacker TJ Watt overruled his agents who believe they could get more money today. He's referring to the day that he signed the contract, Thursday. TJ marched into the office of Steelers president Art Rooney and told him it's a deal. Then the NFL's new highest paid defensive player excused himself and announced that he had to go work out. I mean, that's just that's out of a movie right there. I mean, that there's Hollywood scriptwriters working on that tweet. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not true, but 
it seems a it seems a little too good to be true. I'm gonna believe it though. I want to believe it. That sounds badass, and that sounds like the character kind of guy that T.J. Watt is. And I gotta be honest with you, based on the deal he signed, eighty million dollars guaranteed and thirty five million of it right up front as a signing bonus, and he's probably gonna see most of that one hundred and twelve million. By the way, anyway. I would have vetoed my agents too. I would have been like, guys, you're nuts. Like, you want to keep poking the bear on this? I want my 80 million damn dollars. Like, do you know who you're dealing with? I this want is, 80 this million. Is, this is like, the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is unprecedented amount of money they're giving me. Not just from from them, but from from any organization, it should be an honor to get that money, but especially from them. And I want to go back to that tweet because Shefty followed it up with when T, when JJ Watt got his max deal when he was much younger, said the same thing. JJ got his deal and immediately went back home to Arizona to start working out. It's just it's in the blood of that family, and it's crazy how the narrative, as I was alluding to it earlier, made us so worried that there may be an ego forming in in, in the body of TJ Watt. Not the case at all. It just shows you how much of a business side of things can interfere with the personal side of things. But so lucky for the Steelers to be dealing with a guy like. T.J. Watt, a member of the Watt family, who takes things so realistically with a human approach to it. He, he, he can understand it's a business, but can also understand there's a human element to it. And he knew this was going to be the best deal he was going to get from this team, and he wanted to be with this team. So I'm very happy that T.J. Watt was the guy that the Steelers were dealing with because so few people in the NFL would say to their agent, stop what you're doing. You're doing it wrong. I know what I'm doing, and I want to do this right. And that's what he did. Uh, TJ's older brother, J.J. Watt, did have some fun with TJ on Twitter saying, congrats, little bro. Now it's time to make good on all those IOUs. So yeah, I'm sure, like, Can you hit me up with a Venmo? I'm sure T.J. Watt will be taking the Watt family out to a very, very nice seafood The Watt dinner. family, the, maybe the... The linebacker core, maybe the, the two it's the entire maybe the defense. Fitzpatrick's. Yeah, yeah the you whole. know, you know how Venmo does that thing where every like couple months they'll say, "Hey, we're giving away twenty thousand dollars. Share this post, and you can win two hundred fifty dollars of it." You think TJ Watt? He's just do gonna that? be that guy. He's you think gonna TJ Watt like, can do that for us one day? Just like, hey, share you, this post. Yeah, two hundred fifty bucks for I'll you. Take it. Two hundred fifty bucks for you. It was a deal that I'm very happy that they get done. I know that you know. You could have speculated maybe it's better for the team if they just do the franchise tag and they go with that approach and they make team-friendly deals through the tag for the next couple years. But he's a franchise type of player. I'm not going to go too far and say he's generational. That's tough to do when you're in the same generation he's as on his way, though. Aaron Donald, though. that's You know, sometimes you just get stuck. Like Peyton Manning would have been absolutely the GOAT of his era if he didn't end up Go in the up same era as Tom Brady. Brady. You're just a, it's a matter of circumstance sometimes and unfortunately TJ is in the same era as Aaron Donald. He's a franchise player, no question about that though. And he's a guy that I want I would not want to see in another uniform while he's still operating in his prime which he is probably just entering his prime now. So, a deal that I am not worried about at all and I think the term for 4 years is great cuz I think there was a little bit out there that it might be 5 years. I think four years is a perfect spot for this deal. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to steal a stat here that I saw on Twitter. T.J. Watt, through his first four seasons, has 49 and a half sacks. Bruce Smith, who is first all-time with 200, in his first four seasons had 44 and a half. Kevin Green had, I believe, let's see, 30. And Lawrence Taylor had 37.5. T.J. Watt is 
is beyond all of them in terms of pace. So I know you don't want to say he's a generational player right now, but he is on pace to be in the conversation with Bruce Smith, Kevin Green, Lawrence Taylor, some of the best pocket uh, disruptors in the league, some of the best quarterback sackers in the league in the league's history. I mean, I know it's hesitant to call him a, a generational player only four years in, especially, as you said, going up against That's a guy like Aaron Donald. Why. It's not Watt's performance. It's just that Donald is— I mean, you can have two general generational uh, players in one I don't generation. Know. I don't yeah, know. you can. I don't know. Aaron Donald's not putting up those numbers. He just has the, the defensive player of the year. And he's he had more sacks in a season than TJ has in his career. But That could change. That could change because here's the deal. People might now start wondering, oh, did the Steelers overpay TJ? Oh, is TJ going to be one of these guys that gets his contract and now kind of sits on his heels a little bit and still plays well, but he really doesn't have that motivation? I view it as the complete opposite. I think this is a guy that he gets that $80 million guaranteed, and he says, this is a team that is believing in me. This is a team that has invested heavily in me and invested in me like they never have before to any other player. I'm going to return that favor by putting it all out on the field. I think he breaks the single-season sack record for the Steelers this year if he stays healthy. I know that that extra game is obviously helping him in that category, but I think James Harrison's record is going to fall this season. He's been flirting with it with the past two seasons and has just fallen short, but I, I think TJ averages at least a sack a year this year. He ends the season with, at the very least, 17 sacks. That'll give him the record. 16 is the record right now held by James Harrison, and I just think it's ripe for the picking, and I think TJ will be the one that has that mantle at the end of the year, which would be such a great little cherry on top of this contract. Just, oh, he's the highest-paid defensive player in history, and he sets a single-season record for one of the most prestigious franchises when it comes to sacking the quarterback. I, I think it's going to be a storybook type of year as long as he can stay healthy. I don't think TJ Watt's the kind of guy to – Get his money and then kind of take a step back and be like, Agreed. okay, I, I can rest now. I don't have to exert myself the way I did to to earn Agreed. that money. There ain't no I Albert think, Hainsworth in this guy. No, 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 no. Not in any way. I, I don't even want to hear that name because that makes me nervous that they could go down the same path. That, but no, that, there's, that, no that, chance. there's no chance of that happening. I think whatever this does, I think it's exactly how you put it Tom it's not it's not going to be a motivational factor for him to say okay I don't need to work as hard anymore I think it's going to be that extra step I think he's going to say TJ TJ Watt is going to say to himself I just got this money let me show you why I got this money and I'm going to go out there earn that single season sack record for the franchise possibly pursue 20 sacks like his brother did twice mm -hmm. in his career and possibly get that first Defensive Player of the Year award, which has been eluding him for the past two years. And I think one that he should have definitely won in 2019. At least once. I think of in the 2019, two that's the one where you look at and you say, come on, Stephen Gilmore's good, but he ain't impacted defense as much as TJ Watt did. St Stephen Gilmore is not going to get anywhere near the money that TJ Watt is or just did in terms of overall earnings and guaranteed. That money. was such a fluky defensive player of the year too, because like uh, so. TJ, oh, you're gonna look back at the 2000s, that's gonna or, be or a the, weird or the 2010s, one. I guess decade, 
and look at every defensive player of the year, and you're going to go, Stephen Gilmore won the last of it? That's what I mean, because you're going to have Khalil Mack sprinkled in there. You have, obviously, Aaron Donald sprinkled in there. Even at the early end of 2010s, you have that J.J. Watt sprinkled in there. You had Troy Palomaro Troy to Paul start Amaro the at decade. the very beginning of it. and then Those are all guys who you will look back and say, those guys define defense of, of that decade. And, and almost all of in. them, maybe the only one I'm hesitant on is Khalil Mack that we just mentioned, just but almost all of them a, are Hall of yeah. Famers. Right. And I don't believe Gilmore is on track to make it to the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he's on track to make an all-decade team. Well, here's the th- other thing, too, that I was going to say. Aaron Donald, he's always in contention for Depoy. I mean, every year he's a top three candidate. T.J. Watt, for the past three seasons, he has been at the top of that list. Khalil Gil- Mack, Gil- for, for, for the past three seasons. Gilmore won it and then just kind of faded back. He's still a top five corner in this league in my mind, but just kind of faded back from the whole defensive player of the year conversation. So, yeah, that was a fluke. I think he's going to push real hard for the depoy this year, TJ, I mean. And I think if you have a single-season record for a franchise like the Steelers, even if you don't hit that 20-sack plateau, that's something that voters are going to look at and be like, wow, he's the most prolific uh, sacker of the quarterback on the most prolific franchise doing that in their Mm -hmm. history, but especially in the past four to five years where they've led the league in sacks of the quarterback looking at zooming in on tj though and just focusing on him right now he uh practiced wednesday full go all the reports were that he looked really good and a a lot of the media members were saying you know what he could probably be ready to go full go against buffalo yesterday uh apparently they had to move practice from the outside to the inside and kind of didn't have much of a practice going on They, they did practice but it wasn't exactly a Kabali called it a lost day kind of uh-huh. for them. And that's when you started to see the hesitation. Well, you know what? Now that he missed the day and he had a day taken from him on Thursday, is he really going to be ramped up to play? I think he's going to play, obviously. But I don't think you're going to see the full TJ Watt experience. I don't think you're going to see 90% of the snaps. I think he's going to be on a pitch count. Uh, I think that's what they alluded to and and having all week is that he's not going to see his full potential but third and longs obvious passing downs that's when he's definitely going to be in there but first and tens he might not be out there right away it does i don't think it really is going to have that much of an effect on him just simply because we've seen tj watt not play 100 percent of the snaps in the past well that's the other reasons. thing his big criticism you could say is he needs to come out of games a lot for blows however i think now if you're going to see him on a on a, on a limited snap count you could see him out there for the entirety of the game. It just won't be every single snap. You know, you, you, you tend to sometimes see him fade in the fourth quarter because he just exerts himself so thoroughly that by the end of the game, he's really, really exhausted. I feel like by doing this, you won't see that happen. You won't see him out there for every snap, but you could see him out there for the entirety of the game. And every time you do see him out there, he's not going to be winded. He's not going to be gasping for breath. Well, let's take a look at the injury report because this is a factor as far as T.J. Watt's participation level in this game. Uh, Wednesday's report for the Steelers had three key members on it. Tyson Alu-Alu did not practice due to an elbow. Kendrick Green's thumb had him limited, and Alex Highsmith's groin had him limited. Fast forward to Thursday's practice and upgrades for Alu-Alu and Kendrick Green. Both full goes at Thursday's practice, so... I think you can breathe easy. Your rookie starting center will be there, and your uh, partner in crime for Cam Hayward up front, Tyson Alualu, will be there against Buffalo. There was a downgrade, though, Jacob, in the uh, second-year man, Alex Highsmith. His groin went from a limited practice Wednesday to did not practice Thursday. 
Keith Butler said in his coordinator's interview after practice yesterday that uh, they expect Alex Highsmith to be a big contributor on this team this year, and they're hopeful that he will be there on Sunday. But as of right now, it ain't looking good. You're trending in the wrong direction when you're a limited participant Wednesday and then you did not practice on Thursday, and those groins can be a really tricky injury to rehab and get over. So if Alex Highsmith can't go at all on Sunday against Buffalo, I mean, then you can forget about TJ Watt being on a pitch count and, and excuse me, and having him take, you know, X amount of time off when he, he feels a little winded because it's going to have to be Watt and it's going to have to be Ingram for the most part. And when you, when you need to go with a third string guy, it's going to be Jameer Jones. So you're going to want to make the Jameer Jones, uh, Putting Jameer Jones out there, very few and far between in this game. I, I like Jameer Jones. He's a really good special teams good player. Story. Great story. Guy. Won the spot on this roster because of his special team skills for but sure. But you don't want him to be out there in week no, one getting significant snap counts. If it was the Bengals, maybe, right. but not, not in, on in the Buffalo. road in Buffalo. No. So this Alex Highsmith thing has me a little bit worried based on this injury report. It has me worried too. And, and for another reason as well, I mean, we know that Stefan Tuitt will not be out there week one against the Bills, and we had said— We don't know that—not that, that, to jump in and go off on a tangent. We don't know that There's rumors sure. that he might yeah. not be back until December. And if if Steph Tuitt can't play for the, most of the season, uh, their playoff prospects might go down the drain. It, it they can survive a couple be. weeks without him. Considering but. we had said Stefan Tuitt was prime for his, per, for his first Pro Bowl season— yeah. I mean, it's all about staying 11 and healthy. a half sacks that you got to replace if he can't play. It's all about staying healthy. On top of the healthy. Bud Dupree sacks. On top of the Bud Dupree sacks. Great point. It's all about staying healthy and staying available, and that's not what Stefan Tua is able to do right now. But we were saying, why put out a guy like Chris Wormley when you could put out your best 11 and throw Melvin Ingram on the defensive line to kind of just have another great option for you and keep Alex Highsmith out there and keep Cam Hayward and Tyson Alualu out there with a, a capable third defensive lineman. But if Alex Highsmith is gone and Stefan Tewitt is gone, you're now starting, not necessarily starting, but if you want to give Melvin Ingram a different assignment, you're putting Wormley and Jameer Jones out there. Mm. If it's not Melvin Ingram That's or TJ. That's not going to happen, yeah. No, I, I, I'm, it's, it's a strong possibility, though. It ruins the pliability of Melvin Ingram when Alex Highsmith is out. He can't be that Swiss Army knife kind of guy, line him up in all different kinds of positions and confuse the hell out of the defense anymore. But that being said, on the other side of the coin, there's a lot better spot that we're in right now than we would have been before the Melvin Ingram signing if a starter on that linebacker core went down. I mean, you would have been seeing Jameer Jones or probably a Quincy Roche, who they would have ended up probably keeping at that point, having to play in this game as a starter. So the depth signings of Kevin Colbert in the offseason is paying dividends already just in week one of this season because not, they'd not, be screwed if they right. didn't have Ingram right now. Not in ways that you would expect because we were thinking that when the signing was made, it was great. There was another, not just another depth piece, but another starter that the Steelers have at their availability. And right now it's unfortunate because he has to be used as a depth piece because of the absence of Alex, possible absence of Alex Highsmith. I'm very happy that Kendrick Green has been upgraded to a full participant. That thumb probably will not keep him out on the sidelines now for week one against Buffalo. Mm. Man, this line is real sketchy. I mean, the entire left side has like four starts between them in the NFL. Kevin Dotson being the one that has all four of those starts. Rookie, Kevin Dotson, second-year man. Rookie, Pro Bowl veteran and Trey Turner. And then a third, fourth-year man, fourth-year man in Chukwuma Akorafor, who is their most 
veteran offensive lineman when it comes to taking snaps in a Steelers uniform. Man, Trey Turner sticks out like a sore thumb on that line of inexperience. He's got so much inexperience there, or so much experience there compared to everybody else mm-hmm. when it comes to NFL games, making Pro Bowls. I mean, he was one of the better linemen in the NFL when he was in Carolina. Hopefully he can bounce back from that injury and kind of be an anchor that these young guys can really lean on because, man, it's like I said, it's great that Kendrick Green is back and he's playing, but it still makes you nervous when that rookie has to go out there against a Buffalo defensive front that wasn't amazing last year, but they've spent a lot on trying to improve it from last year to this year. And actually, in fact, the past couple of seasons, they've really invested through the draft and then some in free agency on on making that defensive line better. And I think it's going to be better this year than it was last year. I think it definitely could be in, in they obviously think it can be when they went out and used their first two round draft their first two draft picks on the defensive line. I mean, Tom, this this just could it, it it's tough because we came in to the season saying, uh oh, Buffalo week one, you could probably circle that one for a loss. And as training camp unfolded and as the preseason unfolded and as Kevin Colbert made his free agent acquisitions to to acquire Trey Turner, uh, Joe Schobert, and Melvin Ingram. We kind of talked ourselves into saying, I don't know about this game being such an easy loss for the Steelers. There's there's definitely conversations to be had that you could say the Steelers could come away with a win with this one. If Ben performs to a, to a, a certain level, if Najee Harris gets the right amount of exposure and the defense stays healthy – that could really lead to a recipe for success. It just now seems as as we're getting closer and closer to the actual game during game week, even though the T.J. Watt deal got done, which I think is the most important thing going into this game, it does seem that the, the other narratives here are kind of leaning, are, are forcing you to lean back to the way we were at the start of training camp, at the start of the preseason, I agree with you. I've done a complete 180 three different times about this right. game, and I'm, I'm, we'll, in our final episode, we'll talk about our predictions. But yeah, uh, I'm leaning back towards the Buffalo Bills winning this one. Uh, on the injury side for those Buffalo Bills, Wednesday, uh, D tackle Harrison Phillips and wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie were on the list with a knee and a shoulder injury, respectively, but they were both full participants, so don't expect them to be out. Uh, Manny Sanders on Wednesday with a foot was limited. Cornerback Teron Johnson with a hand was limited. And this is a nice one for the Steelers. Defensive tackle star Latuolele has a calf injury. He did not practice. That can mean one of the guys, uh, Carlos Basham, might have to step up. Has to step up. But Thursday, yesterday, the Bills did not practice, which is very, very weird for a team heading into week one of the season. Usually, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, big time practices. Friday, a wind it down practice. Saturday, walk through Sunday game. But they did an estimation on the injury report, and the only change was Teron Johnson with his hand was upgraded to full. So he's probably going to be ready to go on Sunday. Emmanuel Sanders still limited with that foot. I'm betting my life that Manny Sanders will be on the field on Sunday. Ludalele, though, is the interesting one with that another do not practice in the estimation of the league as far as the Bills injury report is concerned. So if Ludalele can't go, I mean, he's not the premier feature on that defensive line. I would say that's probably Jerry Hughes. But Ludalele is a big acquisition that they made recently and somebody that is certainly no slouch in the middle of a defense can definitely help in trying to corral the Steelers running game and Najee Harris. So 
It'd be good news for the Steelers if Ludulele has to sit on the sidelines for Sunday. Absolutely, and it, it starts with the performance of the offensive line. You got to give these guys every ounce of confidence. And if one of the, the Bills, not just starters, but one of their better starters uh, at any given position is going to be out, that could be feasting season for for the Steelers because we know how inexperienced this offensive line is going to be. If we can expect the offensive line to be two starting rookies and Kevin Dotson being out there as as three of your pieces, that's a very young and inexperienced offensive line, considering that even though Kevin Dotson is in his second year, he didn't see much of, of, of much playing time last year in his rookie season. So you got to make sure that these guys have the edge in any which way they can. And by having one of the Bills starters be out, that can make their lives a lot easier, and in turn, that can make Najee Harris and Ben's life a lot lives a lot easier. Now, I know he was upgraded to a full participant in their estimation on yesterday's practice, but Teron Johnson, the nickel cornerback for Buffalo, if he is plagued with an injury or if he is, you know, feeling it in his hand a little bit, that's the guy you can circle and that's the guy you can attack if you're Ben Roethlisberger, whether it be matching him up with Deontay in the slot or uh, I think would be a huge mismatch is having him try to take on Juju. Juju's just too big for him. And I think that's the one you can exploit. We talked in the past about how great the Bills secondary is. That's led by Tredavious White. So if you can kind of ignore that side of the field, all the more power to you. They can more be had in the Levi Wallace, Teron Johnson areas of the field. And if Teron Johnson is is dealing with a nagging injury, then that just, I think, makes up your decision for you. Lots of slot play, lots of quick passes, you know, five, six, seven-yard routes to Juju, death by a 1,000 paper cuts down the field. I know Steelers fans are hearing me say that, and they're like, no, we don't want to do that offense again. That offense is what killed us last year. I understand that, but sometimes you have to run that offense when that's the best uh, opportunity as far as the matchup that you're facing and in my mind just based on the little nagging injury that Teron Johnson is going to be going through and the kind of weaker uh, side of the field with Levi Wallace as compared to Tredavious White I-, I think death by a thousand paper cuts is a definite way to go about beating this Buffalo team of course as well as running the football against them but I, I like attacking Teron Johnson a lot I think that's a guy that you can circle and say he's not terrible but you didn't have a full week of practice under your belt, and compared to the other guys, you're the worst one. So I don't. I mean, you said Juju can feast against this guy. I, I kind of think this is a guy that Ben can look at. Whoever the receiver is who's being covered by him, if it's a man-to-man type of coverage by the Bills, you got to throw the ball in his direction. I think it. It the the more easily you can expose one defender, the more easily you can succeed as an offense. And I think Ben. Some guy who's been in the league for 18 years can easily recognize that ability. Yeah, that's the other thing that's so overlooked, I think, whenever you take a look at this big matchup against Buffalo is the cerebral nature of Ben Roethlisberger and his ability to, even though they have a very strong secondary, especially on Tredavious's white side, mm-hmm. it ain't uh, you know something new him going up against a legitimate secondary, him going up against a he's hostile gone up, environment. He's gone up against Radavius White in the past. Uh, of course well. he has. Past two seasons he has. And, I mean, he plays Baltimore twice a year. That's one of the best secondaries in all of football. It, it's just I have complete confidence into what you said, is that you know he sees Deontay on Teron Johnson in single coverage, hot route. Deontay run a slant inside hard, 15 yards, easy, because there's no help over top. Like, He's going to be able to pick that kind of thing apart. 
So I think that's where the Steelers are hopeful that they can kind of make up some ground in that passing game is in that short passing game. And I know Steelers fans are going to be kind of salty when they see that at the beginning of the game, but I think by halftime they're going to see how effective it's being and they're going to forget all about like, oh, we're back to the old offense again. I think that's all going to be out of sight, out of mind by halftime. I I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's kind of a, a good feeling, too, to hear that as well. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. Thanks, as always, for giving us a listen. If you want to check out our older work or listen to this episode again, just go to Steelers.com, and you can find it in the podcast page. Before Jacob Recht, I am Tom Opferman, and we will talk to you on our next episode. Thanks, as always, for listening, and thanks, as always, for listening to Steelers Nation Radio.